So I'll ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you have wondered, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here on earth? What am I doing? Um, Many people ask these questions or similar questions, especially during sufferings or great difficulty. We say, man, what is the point of life if we are just going to suffer or we have so much pain? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? And we walk this world, it can be very difficult to ascertain our purpose. It's very difficult to kind of look at the world, look at my current circumstances and say, okay, what am I here for? What is my immediate purpose? Lord, what do you want me to do? It can be very difficult at times. And However, in the realist book, the most down-to-earth book in the Bible, I would argue, Ecclesiastes, um, we find the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, asking that very same question. Solomon, near the end of his life, um, we, it's debated whether or not Solomon repents from his idolatry towards the end of his life, but we believe Ecclesiastes was written in his final years. Solomon asks the question, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? You hear the famous verse and phrase, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And that's him saying that. Life is meaningless. So what is the point? And we see him asking these same questions. And at the end of his quest, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he arrives at what he believes is the purpose to life. And so today we turn to the closing two verses of Ecclesiastes. So chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, God's word says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. To give you greater context to these verses, again, Solomon, end of his life, asking what is the purpose on earth? What is the meaning of life? And he becomes plagued by this question so much so that he begins to dedicate years of his life in his glory years, glory days, if you will, to figuring out what can I do to achieve purpose and meaning? And in each chapter or so of Ecclesiastes, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I encourage you to read it. But in each chapter, he is putting various things to the test. I'm going to put wealth to the test. Does wealth give my life purpose and meaning? Does living in debauchery, does living for pleasure, does living in folly, does hard work, if I work hard and build a lot of things, does that give my life purpose and meaning? And then he even, to a surprising one, does wisdom. Okay, let me live life wise, and let me see if that gives me purpose. And none of them give him pleasure. But all the while, he is piecing together things of, okay, this gives me purpose, but only if I use it correctly. But he's piecing together this larger puzzle of what is meaning. And in these last verses, he realizes the end of all things is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. And he says, this is our whole duty. And it's also the title of our sermon today. We are going to talk about our duty as Christians and believers. We're going to talk about fearing God. And we're going to talk about keeping his commandments. In reading Solomon's conclusion to his book here, it is apparent that our whole duty in life is to glorify God. And that brings us to our main idea. Our purpose in life is not for our gain, but rather for God's glory. Once we realize we are put on earth for the sole reason of glorifying God, things start to click. 
In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the beliefs and the confessions of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, in the very first question that is posed in the catechisms says, what is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and then I love this next part, and to fully enjoy him forever. I love that the very first thing our Presbyterian brothers and sisters want to convey to us is that, that our highest end, our chief goal, is what? To glorify God. And what happens when we glorify God? We enjoy him forever. And so if we are to glorify God, Solomon in these last two verses is telling us the way in which we do that. How do we glorify God? We fear him and we keep his commandments. And so we ask ourselves, what does it mean to fear God and to keep his commandments? And we're going to dive into each of these. So our first main point today, how do we fear God? When we look at fearing God in the Bible, we must not come to the conclusion of it being just in utter terror. Fearing God in a biblical sense is not having a phobia of God. It is not hiding under your bed, pulling the covers over, and weeping because God is nearby in utter terror. That is not what biblical fear of the Lord is. You may, if you've grown up in church, have often heard fearing the Lord in the same way you fear your parents. You have a respect for them, but also know what they're capable of if you disobey. Similar concept there. Because what does God say, and what do the angels say each and every time they encounter uh, mankind? They say, do not be afraid. So if we're supposed to fear the Lord and fear God, but at the same time we're not supposed to be afraid, how do we reconcile those together? And that's, we have to understand, biblical fear is deeper than just, I'm scared of God, much like I am scared of the ocean. Those are not the same things. And I am terrified of the ocean. (laughs) So I want to look at two stepping stones in this point. Each of our two main points will have two kind of stepping stones in there. Two stepping stones for this one that will guide us and to give us a framework into understanding fearing God rightly. And so how do we begin to fear God? Point A, we respect him. In order to have proper respect of God, we have to understand who we are and who God is. Because it is very hard to respect something fully if you know nothing about them or nothing about that certain thing. I remember taking a trip to Gatlinburg with two of my dear friends a couple years ago. And we were driving about 2 o'clock in the morning. We were super bored. And so we were driving down the streets and a huge bear walks across the road. And I was terrified, naturally. We were scared of this bear. Why was I scared of this bear? Because I had a respect that this bear can kill me. I am very weak. You can recall Keith, my dear friend and colleague, telling a story about Heidi carrying my desk into my office because I could not carry it. Uh, That story is true, unfortunately. But I am very weak. That bear is not. I respect that bear because it can kill me if I go over to it and make it mad. If I see the bear, I'm going to run. I possess a knowledge of the bear. I possess a knowledge of the divide between me and the bear. The bear is somewhere else, and I am in a whole other category. Apply that as we look at God. God is in a whole other category than ourselves. When we look at God and look at us, what is God? Holy. What am I? Not holy. That alone should give me respect and admiration for God. 
when we understand who we are, that I am a sinner bound by sin. I can do nothing but sin apart from God. I was conceived in sin, and God saves me, and God loves me, and breaks my chains. We respect God for what he has done because we see the need for him. Looking at this point applied to Isaiah, I think is also a beautiful way of picturing this. When taken up to the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is confronted with the presence and the power of God. And what is his response? Isaiah 6, 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah had a knowledge of God being holy, and a knowledge that he is not. My people and me do not come from clean lips, and this is the Lord of hosts. This is the King. There is a divide between me and him. And Isaiah falls down and is in terror, obviously because of the sights we see in the depiction of the seraphim and the cherubim and all of the things that he is seeing. But what does they do? They come over and they encounter, or they, they love tenderly. They touch a burning coal and they cleanse Isaiah's sins. Respecting God, you see, is loving and appreciating his nature and his holiness. Isaiah was terrified, yes, you think, well, Nate, I thought you just said we're not allowed to be terrified, and God doesn't want us to be terrified. Well, he doesn't, and that's why the angels and the Lord minister to Isaiah. That's why when the angels come down to earth, they say, again, do not be afraid. But Isaiah, his fear is prompted by, he's holy, I am not, and he falls down to worship. So respecting God, again, loving, appreciating his nature his character, and his holiness. And friends, as we begin to realign ourselves under those facts, you will find your soul and your inner being growing in such a deep respect for God that perhaps we may utter the words of the centurion in Matthew 8, 8, who said, Lord, I am not worthy that you would come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant would be healed. That centurion knew I am not worthy for the Lord to enter my house. I have such a deep respect for this person. Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever, as you invite company over, do you respect them enough to be like, well, actually, don't come into my house? Now, if I, I, as a young kid, would have been like, yeah, my mom was always like, Nate, clean your room. We have company coming over. And I'm always like, well, I didn't know they were going to be hanging out in my room. What are we doing? And so my, we always clean our houses up for company because we respect them, because we love them. But the centurion here, Lord, don't even enter my house. I'm not worthy. He has such a deep respect for the company and for the respect of the Lord. Friends, we are not worthy, but God yet deeply loves us deeply cherishes us. Is this not worthy of praise and worthy of respect to the Lord? I love Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. I love that verse. Ascribe to him the glory that is due to his name. Respect him and then glorify him, which is our second point, point B. How do we fear God? We glorify him. Glorify in this context here simply means just give praises. You are praising God for various attributes. You are glorifying God. And you will find that as you continue on in your days and as you are praising God, as you are serving God, you will develop a deep, healthy, biblical fear and respect 
for the Lord. It is the fruits of these practices. As you dedicate yourself to saying, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I praise you? In your prayers, in your quiet time, as you say, Lord, thank you for the things that you've done in my life. I praise you for A, B, C, D. You are glorifying him. And in your words, you are saying, I am not capable of giving myself this. Lord, you have given it to me. Thank you. I praise you for this. You begin to deepen your respect but deepen your fear of the Lord. As you grow in your knowledge of God and worship him, you will have an overwhelming, gripping sense that God alone is worthy of praise, that he is worthy alone to be glorified. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God in your body. Use your body. Use what you have today to glorify God. And from that, you will develop, again, a respect and a fear of the Lord that we see throughout the scriptures. This, friends, is how we fear God. It should eventually become second nature to us. Why? Because this is our whole duty, according to Solomon, to fear God. We were put on this earth to fear the Lord. As we glorify his name, we are outpouring what we believe about God in our hearts and minds. As you glorify God, your respect and fear will increase. Uh, I would love... Uh, to spend a lot more time on talking about fear, but I can't, time won't allow, I would highly encourage you in this room to purchase the book Rejoice and Tremble, written by Michael Reeves. It's a book I've just ri- uh, written, wrote, read. I did not write the book. <laughs> I just read this book. I, I told Keith to read it too, and he actually finished it before I did. I was kind of annoyed by that, but that's my own fault. Um, I just didn't read as much as Keith does. Um, But Keith also wakes up at like 5 in the morning, so he beats me to it. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But this whole book is dedicated to discussing the topic of the fear of the Lord and what is biblical fear. I would highly encourage you to read this book. Beautiful book. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Could not praise it enough. But now we want to look at the second part of our whole duty as human beings. We fear the Lord, but in addition to that, what else do we have to do? We have to keep his commandments. So second main point there. How do we keep his commandments? Now, when we get to this section, I want you to bear with me because I do not want to insult your intelligence at all. So some of this stuff is going to sound extremely simple, but I want us to have the same understanding of what does it mean to keep God's commandments. So I don't say this to talk down to you, but I I want us to have the same framework and those same stepping stones as we come to understand keeping the commandments. So, how do we keep his commandments? Point A, we know his commandments. Now, as obvious as it sounds, you can't keep God's commandments if you don't know what they are. We may think that this is an obvious factor, but time and time again, if you read the Bible, you can't flip a page in the Old Testament, it seems, without God saying, remember my commandments, know my laws and my statutes, walk blamelessly. He wants us to know his commandments and to remember them so we can what? Always keep them. If you attend our Wednesday night discipleship classes, uh, going through the book of Deuteronomy, you're probably very familiar with these verses here. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. This is the Lord saying, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall walk them or talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God is wanting no room for excuses of, I didn't know that that was a sin. I didn't know that that was disobeying God. There is no room for that. God is saying, everywhere you go, bind my laws, bind my statutes on your wrists, on your doorposts. Teach them to your children. Later in Deuteronomy, he will say, when your sons and daughters ask you, why do we do these things? Tell them, why do we worship the way we worship? Why do we practice what we practice? We have to, friends, know God's commandments. And we have to teach them to our children. We have to teach them to our loved ones. We have to let them know. There is no room for a plea of ignorance with the Lord. Ignorance does not fly in the counsel of God. Romans 1, no, or all men are created without an excuse. We cannot plead on judgment day. Ecclesiastes 14, judgment is coming. We cannot plead ignorance on judgment day. God, I didn't know. Well, why? Everyone has no excuse. God wants us to know his commandments in order for us to keep his commandments. Again, it sounds simple, but yet the Lord, humbling us, reminds us constantly in the scriptures. And where do we find his commandments? Again, in the scriptures. Friends, Read your word. Devour this word. Do not let a day go by where you do not open up this word. Scripture is God-breathed. Inhale the breath of God and apply it to your life daily. I really want to set up camp here again as two, but again, time will not allow me. Two verses I want you to consider in the context of pleading ignorance and not knowing, keeping commandments. From the Old Testament, Leviticus 5, 17. Understand the context of Leviticus, though, when you read this verse. Understand what the laws are. Uh, that might take a lot more time, and we can always talk about it. I love Leviticus um, dearly. Everyone makes fun of me, but I actually love Leviticus. But uh, I will gladly talk to you, but Leviticus five seventeen from the Old, Luke twelve forty seven and 48 from the New Testament. These verses will help uh, draw this point out deeper. And so our second point B, how do we apply, or how do we keep his commandments? We apply his commandments daily, just what I said earlier. Again, obviously, in order to keep commandments, we have to apply them to our lives. In fact, if you're a wordsmith, much like myself, you will say, well, those are easily synonyms as well. They're the same word, and you would be right, but in certain contexts, they are not. And I want to make the distinction between these two words here in a minute. First, I want us to look at James 1, 22. James puts it plainly, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the first part is knowing it. So hearing the word, we're, we're hearers in point A. And now point B, James is saying, now be doers of of the word. Don't just listen to God's word. Apply it to your life. Do it. I want you again to bear with me. This is not just a, well, in order to do it, you just have to do it kind of point. I hate when people will tell me that. My baseball coach, I was swinging really, really bad when I first started playing baseball. I would kind of like golf swing almost my first two years ever playing. My coach was, you swing better. And I was like, how? And he goes, well, you just do it. I was like, that's not helping me. And I was like, I need advice on how to swing because I didn't know that I was swinging low and I was striking out constantly. I was like, I, don't, I didn't know. And my coach is like, you just got to do it. Okay, thanks. Next. <laughs> so that's, this is not a point I want to make of, well, just, 
You want to keep the commands? Just keep the commandments. It's, it's No, <laughs> bear with me again on this. Um, if we know the commands of God, yet we do not apply them to our lives, James here in verse 22 is saying we are deceiving ourselves, that we're not really following God. If I confess that I'm a Christian, if I love God, if I say I love God, and yet don't obey his commandments, I believe things that the world and what culture tells me, or I follow in practices of other religions, do I really love God? No. Am I keeping his commandments? No, absolutely not, we would say. We must be hearers and doers, both. We need to take the commands and put them into practice every day. And so here's where I want to make that distinction between keep and apply. All right, so I'm going to give you an example. If you decide one day you want to take up a habit, okay, it's 2022, second day in the year, New Year's resolutions. They're all over the place. I haven't made mine yet. I usually make mine about a week into it because I, when I do it on the first, I would immediately give up or I'd forget that I made the resolution and I would have broken it already. But New Year's resolutions, first of the year, if you say you want to take up a habit, let's say you want to get in the habit of working out and being healthier, just getting general health, you can apply a diet and a workout to help reach your goal. But If you are inconsistent with your workout routine, you do not stick to your diet. You only stick to your diet maybe once or twice out of the week. You go to the gym or you run or, you know, you do whatever workout activity once a week. Are you really keeping that habit? No. You're applying the necessary steps, but you're not keeping it. Does that make sense? You are not keeping with that habit of being healthy, but you're applying it when it is convenient. So I'm going to make that distinction there. In order to fulfill our whole duty to God, we have to keep his commandments. But how do you keep the commandment? You apply them daily. How do you get healthier? You follow that routine daily. You can't just do it once or twice a day and then assume I've stuck to my habit. I've kept my habit. No, you haven't. Does that make sense? In order to apply, or in order to keep, we have to apply. So when we take up the habit of godliness and we work out our faith daily, we become keepers as well. We move from hearers to doers, and then we become keepers of the word. We become keepers of God's commandments. Friends, this is the purpose of our life. Again, I go back to my introduction. Have you ever asked, what is the purpose of my life? These are the purposes of our life. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. And that may not excite some of you in there. You might go, oh, really? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. But friends, as you practice righteousness, as you practice godliness, you won't be doing it against your will. You will be loving it. Serving God is the greatest joy In the world, I've never met a Christian in ministry, or I've never met a Christian who's lived his life following the Lord who said it wasn't worth it. Dedicate your lives to these purposes. And the best part about this is this when we fear God and keep his commandments, when you begin to develop and grow in one aspect, you will naturally grow and develop in the other. As you fear God, you will naturally be keeping his commandments. And as you keep his commandments, your fear of the Lord will increase all the more. And they grow, and they grow in tandem to one another. What a beautiful thing. They're not detached from one another. As you do one, you will increase in the other. And our final thought, you were put on this earth for a purpose, to glorify God 
perform your duty. Solomon again, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This is the whole duty of man. Center your life around these two principles. Glorify God. Center him, or sorry, center him around the principle of glorifying God through the two principles of fearing him and keeping his commandments. Because in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes 12, judgment is coming. Everything, good or evil, will be seen by God. Use your time on earth now to live out your whole duty. Do you know why so many people in this world are unhappy or dissatisfied with life? It is because they are not living in accordance to the reason they were created. We were created for this purpose, to glorify God. And you know why so many of the lost people today or so many people are unhappy and not satisfied or seeking answers elsewhere? It's because they're not doing the very thing they were put on this earth to do. Why would we not then do the thing we were made for? What a beautiful thing that God has said. This is why you were on earth. And it will go well for you if you do this. You will find great joy in life. Friends, when I am not following God, I am never a happy person. But when I follow God, when I'm fearing and keeping his commandments, I have a joy in my life that I cannot describe other than supernatural. And I know you in the room, if you've experienced that, you know exactly what I am talking about today. What a beautiful thing it is when we live in conjunction with our purpose of creation. Friends, do you wish to be a better Christian, a more fulfilled Christian, steadily persevering Christian? Do you want to be a Christian whose life is engrossed in the beauty of Jesus Christ and his gospel? Then you have to. You can't, maybe, you have to take Solomon's words here and you have to apply them to your life because your faith will increase. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you sit in this room today saying, I'm tired of the way I'm living. I'm tired of not fulfilling my calling. I'm tired of not growing. I'm tired of being dissatisfied with life. Then you have to. To see this, you cannot miss Solomon's words here, God's words here. Fulfill your duty and your joy and faith will increase all the more. Live your life in a manner that shows the world that your purpose, your whole being, your inner essence is devoted to fearing God and keeping his commandments. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to pray real quick, and one of our elders is going to come forth.